You're listening to the Today in Manufacturing podcast. Hi, I'm David Mancy, and welcome to a new episode of the Today in Manufacturing podcast from an all-new location. Construction's fun. With me today are Jeff Ranke and Anna Wells. We each have about 15 years of experience covering the manufacturing industry. Every week, we cover the five most popular stories on our websites and discuss the implications they might have on the industry going forward. Before we get started, please make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. You can also help us out a lot by giving us a positive review. Anna, how are you doing this week? Uh, good. It's weird being at the same table as you guys. I feel like normally when I would make a bad joke, I have like an office door in front of me and now I have to actually face you. <laughs> right. I, it's also weird being in close proximity without a mask. I know. It's like we're breaking some sort of rule. I know. I'm, it's going to take a while to get used to this, but. Well, it's good to see you. Yeah. Right. Not through a door. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, how are you doing this week? Good. Yeah, you know, the same thing, like, um, just little things getting together, playing softball, stuff like that. Like, there's this bubble you're used to having, and letting people inside that mm-hmm. is, yeah, it, it takes a little getting used to. So, But this is cool. Glad we could finally do it this Yeah, way. it's like, hey, human contact. Yeah. It's nice. It's it is nice. How to de-awkward. I don't know how to do that. <laughs> well, I mean, I was, I was awkward going in. That's true. So. That didn't change, I'm yeah. sure. No. <laughs> All right. Our first story this week, Shuttered Remington Gun Plant Reopens. Gunmaker Remington filed for bankruptcy in July 2020 after 200 years of business. The company's assets were auctioned off to seven different bidders. Roundhill Group bought a part of the business for $13 million. The deal included Remington's factory in Illion, New York, which was closed in October after 585 furloughed workers were abruptly terminated without severance pay. Roundhill recently called 230 workers back to the factory in hopes to bring back Hundreds more workers as production ramps up. Anna, it's a good story. I'm into it. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's been a bumpy ride. If you've been following the story of the Ilian plant, like, you know, as you mentioned, these workers have kind of been through a lot. Mm-hmm. So Remington filed for bankruptcy twice since 2018 um, and, you know, furloughed a bunch of workers in the fall and then let them go. So anyway, this spring... Workers were set to return, and then they were notified like the day before that it wasn't happening. And this was Roundhill had taken over at this point. So they were told not to come. And I read a report that said that some didn't get the message, and they were actually turned away at the door. Oh. Which is brutal, right? But um, so in March, the union described its talks with Roundhill Group as sporadic. Mm -hmm. And anyone who's purchased any assets out of bankruptcy, I think, knows that the transfer process can be a massive hassle. Um, But you'd think that Roundhill would be motivated because gun sales are crazy high right now and they want to take advantage of that. Right. But um, I I guess I just think that they're probably lucky that these workers stuck around. And I wonder if it's because Ilian was actually the town where Remington was founded in the early 1800s. So some of these workers could be like multi-generational sort of legacy Remington workforce that maybe they were really holding out hope, whereas somebody from a different industry or company might not have waited so long. But yeah, it sounds like they're bringing a few hundred back. They hope to do more in the future. So we'll see. Yeah. uh, Jeff, it sounds like a town full of patient people, very patient people. Yeah, it's an interesting story. I mean, Remington, obviously the oldest gun maker in the U.S. And like 10 years ago, less than 10 years ago, this company was doing $900 million in revenue. Mm-hmm. And there's actually a great article on the New York Times website that talks about the history of this company over like the last 15 years or so. Private equity came in. They tried opening some different plants down south because the one in New York was so union heavy. There's such a dominant union preference that, or presence there. So they tried doing some different things. And it's we just talked about some of the uh, the other 
factors that have played a role in its recent history. But what was interesting to me too is Roundhill only bought the the um, the rifle and gun portion of the business. Right. Remington also has an ammunition part of it, which is where I know them from. That's typically the brand that I go to for for my shotgun and my twenty two. So it was interesting that that was not part of it, and the ammunition part of the business was actually sold for like six times more oh. than the rifle Oof. and gun side. That of makes it. sense. So. You want to be optimistic. It is awesome. You see these hundreds of people back to work in this iconic town for this this this, Amer- this American brand that's just been around forever and everybody knows. So you hope that a lot of these, I guess I don't know if I want to say we're buying more guns, but hopefully the business can remain strong so that this plan can get up and running again. Well, I believe when it went under, it was pre-pandemic. And it was that was when the run on ammo was still huge. And so I understand like the three times markup or whatever you said. That makes sense. But, uh, you know, luckily, as a result of a global crisis, everyone's afraid and buying guns now, too. So, you know, more people going back to work. Um, one thing I liked was that <laughs> one, <laughs> one thing I liked was that it, it was a rare example of them constantly telling the town we're coming back and actually coming back. Mm-hmm. It reminds. But. Sort of one of the things I was thinking about was Lordstown that we were talking about last week. Just sort of pump the brakes a little bit. You know, the saviors are in town. They're bringing back jobs. But it can be bumpy for, Mm -hmm. I guess, I don't know a lot about um, Round Hill's history. I believe that they are known in the industry or that they have experience in the industry. That I don't know. Um, But we've seen how... You know, you can come back to town and it can still be really bumpy along the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You almost wonder if, like... Could you have just like not sent out the press release or the memo or whatever yeah, until like, you were really, really sure that this was going to work? Yeah, do the soft launch with the 280 guys and then right. issue the press release like, no, actually, we've been doing this for three months. It's going to mm-hmm. it's gonna pan out. I do kind of wonder, though, if there wasn't – I wonder what the negotiations were with the union because there is a strong union preference. there. I forget which one they're actually tied to, but it does have a history. They're not just in that with this facility but just the area in general. Yeah, it's so, a mine workers union, I yeah, think. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and just to note that they're going to start with the the first production line is going to be the Model 870 shotgun. Is that something you're familiar with? I don't I don't own a Remington shotgun, so not oh, okay. Really, just but, curious. Yeah. Um, our next uh, fourth most popular story this week, a Tesla driver was arrested for riding in the back seat. Kids. A 25-year-old man, not so much a kid, was arrested after riding in the backseat of a Tesla traveling on a San Francisco Bay Area freeway. It's important to note that this guy riding in the back was the driver. He was arrested for reckless driving and disobeying a peace officer after multiple 911 calls came in, and an officer on a motorcycle saw him doing it as well. So, again, really red-handed. He was riding in the backseat. He said... He said, riding in the back seat isn't dangerous, and he will continue to do it. A few Tesla owners are currently testing the car's self-driving system, but it's not clear whether or not this guy was one of them. Anna, people just don't learn. Yeah. I. <laughs> this just made my blood boil. Not just the act alone, but also how he just sort of brashly has... Like taunted police and like the general public because it's such a disregard for everyone's safety around Mm -hmm. him and just ridiculous. But I thought it was interesting because I know it's not clear if he was using autopilot. I think he probably was. I don't see how you could keep your vehicle on the road without that, right? Right. As we've spoken about in the past, autopilot is a level two autonomous system. It goes up to five. Five is like the, you know, complete hands-free. You don't even need a driver in there. The car does everything. Right. Um, Elon Musk 
said at the beginning of this year that Tesla would be uh, at level five by the end of 2021, mm-hmm. which was pretty like bullish prediction on that. But I saw a story on Engadget last week where they cited a discussion between Tesla employees and the California DMV where Tesla actually admitted that essentially Elon Musk has exaggerated these capabilities um, mm. of the self-driving program. And they're saying that they're not nearly as close to reaching that level five from an engineering perspective that, uh, you know, as Elon Musk has indicated. So, I mean, they're not saying anything about autopilot really as it stands, but I think we know that people trust this system more than they should. Mm-hmm. And maybe it doesn't help that Tesla is suggesting that they're basically on the cusp of level five uh, because it sounds like they're not. And I just wonder if people think like, you know, there's some sort of like all it, I'm just a software upgrade away from this yeah. being like more functional than it is. Mm-hmm. And they just have the complete wrong impression about what that system's capable of. I, I will know. say, at least in their defense, that we see that happening on a much smaller scale all the time, as particularly in design engineering, where it's like, what did he say? Mm-hmm. No, no, it's not going to do that. Mm-hmm. It's not going to do that. Just over, you know, it's typical blowhard marketing speak. And then. Yeah. But if you're a publicly traded company, I mean, he wouldn't want to get in trouble with the SEC, would he? <laughs> uh, That's part of the problem. There's such hubris right now around mm-hmm. this and with, with Musk. I mean, if we weren't worried about our podcast rating, I think we'd all really graphically describe what we think of this guy driving in the backseat. Oh, yeah. I mean, what is this? And it's not like he was yeah. on a county highway. He was on the, he was on the Golden Gate Bridge. Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah. What, what, what is this? And for him to be gloating, he should be charged with a lot more than what he was. Okay. okay. I mean, mm-hmm. this is ridiculous. And again, it, and we've, we've hammered on this topic before about when is Musk going to sort of, you know, raise a white flag a little bit and appreciate what he's, the attitude he's creating. And even if he's not legally doing something wrong, mm-hmm. there's a responsibility you have when you are, he has put himself up as a public figure. He's put himself out there as a champion of electric vehicles and autonomous technology. Well, now you have to have, take some responsibility for it because thankfully this idiot didn't hurt somebody else mm-hmm. where he mm-hmm. could have. Mm-hmm. There's clearly, as Anna alluded to, something wrong with the technology where you're supposed to be able to have your hands close to the wheel or on the wheel in mm-hmm. order for this autopilot to be kicking in. Other manufacturers have messed with this. Cadillac's got their Super Cruise, which is a hands-free driving, mm-hmm. but it's only allowed on certain roads. And yeah. one of them is certainly not a freeway. Um, between San Francisco and Oakland, mm-hmm. okay? So there's just a number of things that continue to pop up here. And Tesla does have a responsibility to start taking charge of this and doing it the right way. Because yeah. eventually this is going to be worse than just the driver of these vehicles getting hurt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that was, I mean, that was my first takeaway too, was that I'm not worried about these drivers killing themselves. I'm worried about them killing other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and how he was seemingly posing for photo ops along the way is what really kind of angered me about it is that there were just so many tweets posts on social media of people who caught this kid. And uh, you're right. I just don't know that. um, I mean, what was he charged with reckless driving? Yeah. Basically a couple of traffic citations. I mean, yeah, that's not enough. No. And the other thing is uh, you talk about Musk's responsibility, but getting into sort of like toothless regulation, uh, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration has investigated 28 Tesla crashes and hasn't taken any regulatory action. And the NTSB has recommended that the NHTSA and Tesla limit the types of roads, like you said, where autopilot can operate and that Tesla install a tougher driver monitoring system. Mm-hmm. So it's just a lot of recommendations and not really using their capabilities to, 
you know, put a stop to this. I mean, how, how often, how many times can they ask the company to be a good corporate citizen? Well, and that's the thing. I don't, I personally, I don't want the government to have to get involved in Tesla's business. Yeah. And a lot of these accidents, they were owners being irresponsible, not yeah. necessarily Tesla's fault. But eventually, when you see this behavior continuing and people just can't get it right, or like you like to say, we can't have nice things, yeah. you do have a responsibility as a company. Because if you don't, then you are begging for some sort of uh, government oversight. Mm-hmm. Well, and we don't want that. We don't want the government in our business. Well, I mean, at some point, couldn't there be a parallel drawn to uh, seatbelts? Mm-hmm. When, uh, you know, probably cars had them all the time, but nobody was wearing them. It was just like, you know what? Every car needs one. Everyone's got to wear one. Done. You know? Uh, maybe because it wasn't such a high tech, you know, I mean, maybe it was high tech at the time. I don't, I don't remember. I don't recall. <laughs> you don't remember when seatbelts were invented? No, 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 no. <laughs> I can actually remember when it was somewhat, I don't know if contentious Ooh. was the right term, but like here in Wisconsin <laughs> when they were passing those laws. Oh, yeah. I mean, there was, believe it or not, there was debate oh, whether, yeah. whether or not you should have to wear your seatbelt. And it seems kind of <clears> silly <throat> now, but all the personal freedoms and choices and all that was definitely part of it. Mm-hmm. Um but I, this just bothers me because we want all of this innovation coming to the forefront. We want to push this forward. But it's sometimes you do, pardon the pun, have to pump the brake a little bit on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You guys well, remember how hot those lap belts were? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> In the summer. The, well, and how heavy, <laughs> how right heavy they were. Like yeah. the metal clasp that, you know, could fit a giant. Uh, well, I also remember because we would strap like the three of us in with the one lap belt. Just <laughs> sure it was safe. Wow. Yeah. No, 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 we don't each need one. Bring her over. All right. In the back seat of a station wagon, looking the other way. Oh, man. How kids should grow up. You have to clear the oil from the back window so you can see out. But other than that, it was healthy. I know. And now I'm like, you know, my husband will put the kids in their car seats. And I'm like, the chest clip is like a quarter inch too high. I'm going to just. Yeah. Yeah. They say I'm not supposed to be able to pinch it. Yeah. So just sorry (laughs) as you're screaming. Um, The third most popular this popular story this week is uh, more Tesla bashing, but again, rightfully deserved. Tesla's been sued over breach of contract. A Pennsylvania couple is taking Tesla's solar roof to court. The company agreed to pay $46,000 for a solar roof. Six months later, they received a notice saying the price jumped more than $30,000. There are more than 100 other potential plaintiffs who are dealing with similar price hikes, some with hikes as high as 70% above the agreed-upon price. The price increases stem from improper solar roof installer assessments. Jeff, I know this was your story this week. That seems like... Quite the, uh, <laughs> quite the hype. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've all, you know, we've talked, we've had shared good and bad stories about contractors and work on our home, works on, work done on our houses and stuff. And you you anticipate some of that. We had a remodel for our bathrooms and we knew there's no way this is going to come in right on target, right? So you're, you're prepared for some of that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, these were just crazy. And a lot of times it was like six months later, I think this one in particular that you called out. And there are a number of of obviously uh, individuals who had the same situation, experience, had the same experience. There was enough that now it actually, as of yesterday, it has become a class action suit. Mm-hmm. So they will be able to kind of bind together and go after them. And what's interesting is usually in these situations, it's a group of consumers coming together saying, hey, I was swindled out of money. I want um, you know reimbursement. I want to get back what I lost. Here they're saying, just honor the contract. They want this solar roof. They mm-hmm. want Tesla to come and do this. These folks are really dedicated to not just having this improvement under their home, but the, everything it represents in terms yeah. of getting you know 
sourcing solar, using solar energy, less reliance on the grid, all that kind of stuff. So you're rooting for them kind of in a different way because you just want Tesla to do what they said they were going to do. And I can also appreciate the fact that <laughs> coming out and getting an estimate and then getting in there, I mean, they need to improve that process, obviously. Yeah, significantly. I mean, and try to work with these folks, I would think. And the the lump sum is not that crazy high either that mm-hmm. Tesla is dealing with with the, these hundred-some people that have come together for Tesla. Mm-hmm. Right. When you're looking at a guy who owns the company being worth a couple billion, yeah. um, for the for them to come together, what they're looking for isn't crazy. You think they could fix this? Because there has been a lot of success with Solar Roof. Well, and it's not just that they have to pay more. Like these people refinance their homes to hit that number. And then they come back and they're like, actually, it's double. Uh, So Tesla, like you said, they were hit with the second lawsuit, the class class action lawsuit. Yes, or on Thursday, Uh, the plaintiff signed a contract on March 20th of 2021 for $71,000. On April 10th, Tesla sent him an email, email saying, actually... It's going to be $146,000 and change, about $146,500. So, but they did offer the guy a free Powerwall storage battery if they went ahead with the project. So, okay, it's going to be $76,000 more, but free $5,000. And, and if they were offering them, you're assuming he's already, they're already a Tesla customer, right? They have a Tesla vehicle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Maybe, maybe not. I don't I don't know. I like. I agree with your assessment that you're kind of you're kind of rooting for these people because um, you know the Tesla like so the ROI on solar already is like pretty long. You know, mm-hmm. um, like and the Tesla roof tiles are this new style. It's less bulky. It's less in your face. It comes at a price premium. So like we're doing a solar install now this summer, and the payback on ours is something like ten or twelve years. Mm-hmm. Um, and that includes government rebates. So it's a while, but like this is way more expensive than what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, like you said, Jeff, these people are doing it not for the ROI because that's forever. They're yeah. doing it out of a s- ideological sense of responsibility, maybe. Mm-hmm. I feel like Tesla is certainly taking advantage of these people, uh, whether they intend to or not. But I don't know. It's just bad PR. I mean, we noted on a previous podcast that te- uh, Tesla or Elon Musk have shut yeah. down their like PR and communications department, um, mm-hmm. maybe because he just can't be bothered to respond to this stuff anymore. He'd rather just blast off on Twitter and walk away. Yeah, uh, this kind of stuff like they already have like reservation style programs on their vehicles, asking people to put down money on vehicles that haven't even been produced yet. Like I think that's sort of a black eye on that strategy. I don't think that yeah. looks good. I also think that, you know, uh, you guys are getting investigating getting solar panels as well. But to me, that's a largely proven technology that's been used on many homes for a long time. You know exactly what the ROI mm-hmm. is. You know what to expect in terms of maintenance and performance uh, with the angle of the sun that you see, stuff like that, where this is by and large unproven, you know, Brand new technology. Really cool. The first time I saw it, I thought it was amazing. Mm-hmm. Like The shingles are going to generate power. That is an amazing idea. Right. It looks that, awesome. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that looks, yeah, it looks, it's, it's life, it's life changing because um, you don't have the large panels, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but you're right. I mean, people are paying a premium because this technology has not scaled. Mm-hmm. So there's no price break for them at all. And you're right. It's unproven. I know that there's been some weird stuff that happened with Walmart stores and their roofs when they were using this stuff. There's not, it's not like it's has like a blemish free record so far. So I don't know. 
But the other part of this too is they do have over 400,000 installs. Okay. So oh, okay. They, they've got a oh, track okay. record here that they can lean on. They, what it, it just gets back to me is they want this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> These yeah. folks really, really want this. They refinance their houses. This is a huge capital investment for them. And Tesla is sort of being like, whatever. Yeah. This is what it costs. Yeah. 400,000 installs. That's according to their site. Now, that's globally. Oh, so. Uh-huh. Um, okay. So I was more wrong. Than, more than I would have guessed, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And it's on, uh, really the the thing for me is I just enjoy trees. Otherwise, yeah. you know, we're looking into solar and it's like maybe on the corner of your garage we could put something. Oh, and they ask you to cut trees down. Yeah. 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 And it's just we have a really cool like hundreds year old tree in front of us that I, mm-hmm. I enjoy. I don't know. Totally. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, when we get out in the country sometime, mm-hmm. that'll never happen. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Our, uh, Jeff, would you put solar panels on the house? Yeah. I mean, I'm not opposed to it. Yeah. I think you're doing it, like Anna said, the, the ROI is not going to be real immediate. You're doing it for more altruistic. I mean, not opposed. No. Yeah. No, I, I haven't been like proactive seeking it out because. Well, our house isn't really great for it. We would have to do some stuff. So yeah, yeah. no, that's uh, I hear that, or that's what I think a lot when people say it's going to be twenty years for the ROI. It's like, mm-hmm. I mean, you're not committed to being here for twenty more years, <laughs> right? No. Um, our uh, where are we at? Third most, second most popular, second most popular story this week is a three wheeled car factory coming to the U.S. Electromechanica made a tiny, single-passenger, three-wheeled electric car called the Solo. This week, the company chose Mesa, Arizona as the location for its U.S. assembly and engineering plant. The Canadian company says the new facility will create up to 500 new jobs and potentially produce 20,000 solo electric vehicles each year. The Solo has a range of 100 miles, a top speed of 80 miles per hour, and sells for about Eighteen thousand five hundred dollars. Anna, would you ride in this enclosed spider? I knew you were going to ask me that right away. <laughs> Eighty miles an hour in that thing. Yeah. Yeah. I would only drive it if I could like sit forward in it. Mm-hmm. No. Just as yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I, if I was out the window. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I love these kind of vehicles, but I feel like they're like becoming more dangerous as SUVs and trucks kind of proliferate. It would be really hard to get in an accident in that thing, mm-hmm. especially at 80 miles an hour. Right. But I don't know. I, my favorite thing about this when researching this story was I came across a review that Motor Trend did on this vehicle um, at the beginning of the year because they've been producing them already, right? It's a Canadian mm-hmm. company. Um, Motor Trend calls it a car motorcycle hybrid, which oh, okay. kind of, I guess, makes sense. But they threw so much shade at this thing, <laughs> like saying that um, – that it, you know, you have to use the throttle so heavily that it causes it to like pogo up and down. Um, and then my favorite line from the review was this one where they said, quote, it doesn't appear much thought went into the way the solo turns or stops. <laughs> oh, <laughs> stops even. Wow. Turns or stops. Man. Like pretty basic yeah. stuff. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, one thing that they noted was that Electromechanica said that the vehicle complied with NHTSA standards, but they wouldn't share any of their internal crash test data publicly. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was interesting because we did a story on Candy, um, which is basically the Chinese version of this Mm -hmm. earlier this year. And that's like a tiny, cheap EV with a minimal range, again, zipping around town. And Candy did the same thing. So they suggested it was compliant, but they wouldn't share any of the data on the crash tests. So I don't know. I mean, I always get teased as like being the risk averse one on this panel. But like, (laughs) would you guys get in this thing? I feel like personally, sorry, uh, for me, this was 
when we first started covering these types of stories, like 12 to 15 years ago, I was really excited because I was single and I rode my bike everywhere. Mm -hmm. And so this looked like something that could be cool in the winter or, you know, when I was a single passenger, I thought it was awesome. And now I'm thinking maybe if I'm a retired widower or what, you know, like uh, I, it's just. And also no... ready to die. Well, I mean, by then. <laughs> Besides, no. Harry's going to outlive you. We all know this. I don't and know. I mean, like gin, uh, cigarettes. No. Uh, <laughs> you've got odds going. Trust all right. Me. Man, I thought I was higher in the pool. But uh, no, so I would, but I have, there is no use for me to ever own this in in the near or distant future. So it's, I feel like it sits so low that like, you know how they're talking about how lethal the strike zone is now in an SUV, like oh. the nose of that vehicle where it hits like a pedestrian, for example, uh. it's more deadly now because mm-hmm. um, they're heavier. And that's exactly where, you know, you can do a lot of damage to a person. Okay. Um, and uh, I feel like they would hit you right in the face with that, you know, where you're sitting. Yeah. No, I can't imagine. Like I'm not getting in this thing and expecting to survive to get out yeah Yeah. um but i don't know technology crash zones have come a long way even though this one seems tight it looks cool yeah Yeah. well you know i did catch their tagline safer than a motorcycle motorcycle cooler than a car i don't know i don't know (laughs) um that that might be a stretch um you know so i'm six three i've sat in a smart car Mm -hmm. and i could handle that i wouldn't say i was comfortable but i could fit in there and be okay this looks this looks tight, especially when they do see the one guy getting out and he just towers above this this car. Yeah. So I don't know who, if you guys had to guess, I mean, who is their ideal customer? Who are they targeting with this? Because like you said, you can't have anybody with you. I mean, it's mm-hmm. called a solo for a reason. Um, you've got 100 miles. It can get up to 80, but you do have a somewhat limited range. It's yeah. not like you have any cargo space. I mean, yeah. I mean who uh, is the ideal candidate right so if you're running errands you can't go to the store because you can't put your groceries anywhere it does no they, make a, they have a very specific photo where it shows them putting at least oh, one okay. bag like of groceries, two bags in the bag. of groceries in there. <laughs> just so, a couple of key items from trader joe's yeah. exactly no but i mean that's who that's who i think it is you know uh in terms of the key audiences uh you know single people or uh not i i don't know but because if you're in an urban area i mean do you have a car to begin with are you yeah. going to want to – you're limited. If you're going to have a car, it seems like you'd want somebody where you could have somebody with you. Mm-hmm. You can you know, do some stuff. You just seem really limited. This almost feels like – this is Like an electric scooter? Yeah, kind of. It's almost like for communities where they have golf carts now. Maybe you want something oh. a little bit oh, more. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you can't fit golf clubs in it, so maybe not. Um, yeah. Well, and yeah, you'd have to park it. So like it – maybe it is safer than a motorcycle. I don't know, but um, – but it doesn't have that advantage of being able to like kind of tuck it away. And if you're in a city, mm-hmm. you have to find a spot for it. It also seemed odd, very expensive to me at 18.5. Yeah, that seems like a lot. I would agree. Um, maybe if the price was able to come down, I would still not be able to use it for anything, but entertain it. I mean, maybe if one day you have to pick up just like a bag of trail mix on the way home. Well, see, <laughs> I was thinking that if I only had to pick up one kid, I mean, I could get them in that cargo area, go real slow on the back roads, uh-huh, uh-huh. safe. Hook up one of those, like, bike uh, Oh, yeah, the, caddy, ba- the like, bike caddy. Yeah, <laughs> the bike the trailer. See, and I was anticipating, like, a wider rear tire, too. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really look like it. I mean, it kind of, I don't know. Yeah. There was at least, uh, there have been other ones that kind of had that same sort of, like, cockpit uh, look to yeah. them. But you could actually, you could get two people in it. Yeah. But that those were weird. And we used to joke about them because it's like, all right, pal, you know, like, just... <laughs> 
Hug me. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so I uh, did a little bit more research on the company. And uh, the reason that they're setting up shop in Arizona is to avoid the Chinese uh, supplied or uh, cumbersome tariffs by mm. assembling the Chinese supplied knockdown kits for assembly. So basically knockdown kits, kits which are typically made overseas and then exported for final assembly here, uh, you know, I, it's, so it's like, um, it seems like they're doing a lot of work to avoid tariffs for a product that I don't know there's a market for. And yeah. the one thing that was cool is that you can just charge it on a regular outlet. Um, oh, that is yeah. cool. Yeah. But <laughs> then in the fine print, it says, uh, you know, eight hours on 110 will get you about a 60% charge. But, I mean, that's not that's not terrible. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I'm just going to Trader Joe's to get my trail mix. <laughs> that's all you need. <laughs> yeah. Um, and your Dr. Boston gin. Oh, man, it hit a specific point in the palate. <laughs> it's still there. I can't do it anymore. No. <laughs> Mr. Boston became a doctor? Uh, oh, you're yeah, right. Do- Mr. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I still think, did he go to medical school? Since I'm, I have. It was Mr. Boston. I believe that right. he is a retired medical professional who has uh, taken up a distillery. <laughs> <laughs> our, our top story this week, aside from my poor choices in life, uh, a crack closes an interstate bridge. A crack was found in the interstate 40 bridge that links Arkansas and Tennessee during a routine inspection. The crack forced thousands of trucks and cars to detour and shut down shipping on a section of the Mississippi River. Inspectors found a, quote, significant fracture in one of the two 900-foot horizontal steel beams that are crucial to the bridge's integrity. Anna, did you see the photo? I would call that a significant crack. It was a scary photo. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we were literally talking about this last week when we covered the collapse of the rail car in Mexico City. We were talking about infrastructure. And this kind of stuff is at risk of being anywhere and everywhere. You know, I mean, you use the term significant fracture. They Mm -hmm. said crucial for the bridge's integrity. Like that sounds shocking, but consider that in the 2020 infrastructure report card, which is published by the American Society of Civil Engineers, uh, they said that 7.5% of the nation's bridges are considered structurally deficient right now, meaning they're in, quote, poor condition. And that equals out to more than 46,000 bridges. So I wonder if those bridges will be marked or identified some way. Right. (laughs) You know, if they were, maybe we'd be moving forward more quickly on infrastructure instead of viewing it like we are now in sort of this more abstract way. That's an interesting proposal. Like you put the grade Mm -hmm. on the infrastructure, just uh, not not necessarily enter at your own risk. But, hey, you don't have to jump the bus. But it might not make it. Well, yeah, if that's a bridge you take every day, are you going to be so maybe so indifferent towards no. paying for it? Yeah. yeah. No, like, I mean, if I had to cross, there's a bridge I cross every day to get to the office. And if it had a D minus on it, I would find another way here. Mm-hmm. Or at least send an email saying, hey, just fix this one. No. Uh, <laughs> you would send a strongly worded email. A strongly worded email. Okay, we have enough walking bridges. Please mm-hmm. fix the one for cars. Uh, Jeff, what were your, what was your reaction to the photo? Did you see the crack? Did you actually see the picture of the crack? Yeah. Yeah. Holy. I mean, that is scary. And now we ran a story today, kind of, um, going back and revisiting where now they're not even sure if they can get the construction vehicles on the bridge to support the repair. Yeah. I should have stressed that more. It's in a crack of one of only two of these horizontal structural beams. 
Well, and it, and it shuts down everything, right? You've got a roadway, it's a bridge, and it's also a main waterway. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of actually cargo ships that are, are going through. They're smaller ones, but still. So it, what all this comes back to is, first of all, this took me back to a little bit. This is about 10 years ago. I remember up in the Twin Cities? Oh, that, yeah. That bridge collapsed mm-hmm. over that main freeway. Scary. And, I mean, this could have happened. Thank God these guys caught this. Yeah. Um, and it always brings back that conversation about infrastructure improvements. And right now, I think President Biden's looking at a $2.3 trillion investment bill, and they're fighting over basically what should be included, what shouldn't. It should cover, man, just pick some stuff and fix it, mm-hmm. Yeah, is basically. So what do you think about this? Okay, because we can never figure out how to pay for all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. Doing some, some round math here, $2.3 trillion. The average U.S. taxpayer gets back a $3,000 tax return. Mm-hmm. On average, would you go five years without a tax return to cover President Biden's infrastructure investment bill? How many years? Five. Yeah. I would, I would do it. But yeah. I'd be real pissed about it. Yeah, I think everybody would. <laughs> I mean, nobody likes to, that's again, but it's that's the problem that we continue to confront. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how do we pay for this thing? Mm-hmm. I think the problem is also how do we pay for it? And once we pay for it, where and how is the money getting there? Uh, you know, <laughs> you just, don't trust the government, David? Our well, <laughs> follow up question mm. Are corporations also rescinding their tax refunds? And by refund, I mean. Of zero. Zero liabilities. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, okay, maybe that's the trade. I will take it. No tax return for five years if they pay for five years. The corporate tax. No. <laughs> oh, man. We're getting to some deep water here. No. Um, well, actually, on Friday, you talked about the river traffic being uh, congested, but uh, there was like already 75 ships or something yeah. like that that were stuck waiting. On Friday, they did reopen the Mississippi River near Memphis, Tennessee. But – yeah, the repairs could take forever. Like this yeah. is going to be out of commission for a while, and that sounded harrowing to me. That a, well, uh, a that engineers were trying to figure out if they could go on it. Yeah. Just like I don't know, guys. Ah, yeah, I mean, got the light. It's, it's, yeah. it's a main thoroughfare mm-hmm. too. Yeah. I mean, boy, that is scary. But one encouraging thing was that it was found during a routine inspection. So, yeah. I mean, a lot of times people kind of get down on inspection, routine inspections, stuff like that. Um, but they do serve a purpose and they do some good sometimes. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's a, Well, we didn't talk about it but because it was covered so many places. But, I mean, really this is the other big infrastructure story from the week. I mean, we had the thing with the, the, the hacking of the oil pipeline. Oh, yeah. Okay? I mean, that's not physical infrastructure but still very much a part of our everyday life and something that needs to be improved upon. And where does that come into play as well? Mm-hmm. When you're looking at a lot of the automation that's been put in place to preserve or to protect a lot of this infrastructure. That's another bill. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. no, great, great point. I mean, that's part and parcel now. You can't yeah. just ignore that side of it. Well, that was what did they say? It was uh, so easy to hack that an eighth grader could do it. That's reassuring. Yeah, no, I was like, okay, they mm-hmm. know what they're doing with that quote. Also, I think eighth graders right now are advancing me in any sort of computer. Yeah, story. I was not. I'm trying to remember what I was doing in eighth grade. It wasn't that. Yeah. Hacking an oil pipeline. I never did that. No. no. I was uh I was still really interested in buying C D singles. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was big into Carmen San Diego, but I don't think it was mm. leading to anything else. Oh. Uh, did you see she just made it into uh like the the game hall of fame? Did she make it or was she just nominated? No, it was yeah, like one of one of four, yeah. That's awesome. I also didn't know that San Diego was one word. Come on. I didn't no. It's her last name. 
I did. I thought it was. But San you Diego. thought Capra Sun was one word. I did believe. I still stand. No, that was just. Don't. Sometimes you talk too yeah, fast. It's real yeah. bad. It is yeah. Capri Sun. Yeah. What is it? <laughs> it is Capri Sun. Oh boy. Oh boy. Again, thank you, Patrick, for calling me out on social media. Uh, moving Please on, keep to- doing so. Yeah. <laughs> Um, moving on to, in case you missed it this week, the uh, not-so-popular stories that still stand to make a big impact. Anna, what was your story this week? So Spot the Robot Dog from Boston Dynamics has been terminated from the NYPD, oh, who had been exploring a test program where they hope to use the robot to inspect dangerous and um, maybe unavailable areas mm-hmm. or you know ways to help keep officers uh, safe is what they said. So we've been covering Spot for so long that my initial gut reaction actually w- when I learned that Spot had been fired was, aw. Right. But then I remembered that Spot's not a real dog. Yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> right. if that, it had been a real dog, I would have, yeah. Yeah, by fired, they turned the power off. Right, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. People found the robot to be off-putting, and we know that he's off-putting. He's got a weird jaunty dog walk. It's a little creepy, but... Um, but they also felt like maybe it was surveillance. I think using it for patrols and things like that clearly wasn't striking well with mm-hmm. the public. Um, I just found it to be an interesting story because I think there's very clearly a role for automation in law enforcement. You know, um, we've seen that with robotics and like bomb squads and things like that where it's being used. Um, but there seems to be a niche and <laughs> this wasn't it, I guess. Um, yeah. And the other thing was the lease on this thing was um, going to cost the NYPD more um, for the test program than if they had just bought it. <laughs> yeah, it was like it was like ninety four thousand dollars. Yeah, and like I think that. it's like yeah. seventy thousand to buy it. Yeah. So that also the people of New York were not pleased about, which I can see why. Yeah, that sales guy needs a raise. That's right. I mean, how do you how do you negotiate that one? I don't well, know. Yeah, yeah, if you get the lease, it's technically a better deal. You pay a little more upfront, but <laughs> you're protecting yourself. Um, no, I see. I, this just it seems like something that really got polarized, and it could have, like I said, fit a really good niche mm-hmm. and. Uh, really helped keep you know law enforcement officials out of danger yeah. in certain situations. It, this isn't you know it's not a patrol dog. Don't send this out into parks. Yeah. It's going to freak. Yeah, I mean out. you kind of wonder if they're like, well, let's test it. Can it do this? Can it do this? And then just in that testing program, not thinking it through, how people were going to perceive that. Yeah, just doomed the entire thing. I'm interested to know because some of these are in quite a, uh, in manufacturing facilities now. Mm-hmm. Like I know it's at Ford. It'd be interesting to hear for some people that work at Ford. Just, you know, what is it like when all of a sudden the robot dog comes trotting by, you know, scanning, uh, scanning tags for maintenance? Yeah. Know. Yeah. Ford was using it actually because they had a really, really old plant and it would um, traverse the plant and scan the areas because they didn't have accurate blueprints for how many like redesigns had been done over the years. Mm-hmm. That's like a very cool application for this not a dog. <laughs> yeah. Um, Don't give it a name like Spot. I, mean, I didn't you give know? them the name. That's the thing. It's yeah. like yeah. it's not my fault that... I think it's a dog. Right. Well, I mean, we've seen so many positive uses for robotic pets and dogs, particularly with the elderly or, uh, you know, uh, special needs people and children that uh, there is a great potential and market for it. It's Mm -hmm. just uh, Boston Dynamics has a history of making them great and really unnerving. Yeah. I mean, I think the environment definitely plays a part, right? Yeah. Because nobody's going to argue the fact that it can keep law enforcement safer. But mm-hmm. if it stresses out the public, that kind of defeats the purpose. Mm-hmm. So. No, uh, I agree. Anyway, Jeff, <laughs> what do you got? Can you well, beat Spot? Can you beat Spot? Can anybody? Uh, yeah. Do you um, discipline I, I, it with a rolled up paper? 
No. Okay. No, you Remember, void, it's not you, real. Yeah, Remember, you void you the warranty. You void the warranty. <laughs> Very good. Um, I'm always a sucker for a DARPA story. I think they do some pretty cool stuff. DARPA. Mm -hmm. DARPA does some cool things. And right now they're looking at developing um, personalized protective biosystems, mm -hmm. which as somebody who wore protective masks and gas masks and stuff like that in the Army, if they can make that lighter and um, a little more palatable, I'm all in favor. And that's what they're trying to do. Basically taking this, using some new materials, some new technology to make it lighter, mm -hmm. make it a little bit easier to use. Because ideally, that'll mean more people will use it. Yeah. You know, we just had enough trouble with people putting a piece of cloth over their face. So who knows where it'll go. But I, again, I'm always a sucker for these. I think um, DARPA is one of those few government agencies that actually does a lot of really cool stuff. Mm -hmm. And to be able to learn about it early on um, is even even cooler. They work with a lot of, a lot of private um, technology companies, too. Right. And if there's ever a time that PPE needed a rebranding to PPB, this is... You know, the people are ready for it. Yeah. I'm pretty sure there's a, a great number of people that never want to hear about PPE again. <laughs> it's here to stay. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> uh, well, Jeff, to that end, uh, I picked a DARPA story this week, too, because I covered it and I just couldn't believe it, blow, it didn't blow up. Uh, the story, implants could end jet lag and food poisoning, was admittedly my problem because I didn't say, hey, you're going to have an implant. They can fix your hangover eventually, mm -hmm. but there's more. Should have said hangover. Yep. Uh, so in April 2020, DARPA introduced the Advanced Acclimation and Protection Tool for Environmental Readiness Program, or ADAPTER. The ADAPTER program aims to create new systems that give soldiers control over their bodies. Like any human, soldiers suffer from jet lag and food poisoning, which makes them less effective on critical missions. So the plan is to create engineered cells and biochemicals integrate those into an implant that soldiers can then kind of tap into via their device as needed. So if a soldier's sleep schedule is off, he or she can activate therapies that either eliminate the illness or, uh, or regulate disrupted circadian rhythms. And this week it was really cool because DARPA announced three research partners working on it, uh, Northwestern, Stanford, and MIT. And I just think that is cool. I know that it's maybe a, nobody wants a device, an in-body device that will cure their ailments. But uh, I, I just think, uh, you know, I don't think it's the in-body device. I think yeah. it's more the systems that it is sort of messing with. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I mean, would you want to be the guy who tries this out first? Well, that the was my are. first reaction too. was like, if you look at any um, commercial for pharmaceutical products and medical products, like the laundry list of side effects. Like, are you sure this is not going to give you a hangover? Like, you, right? Like, it's, it's like, gonna. I feel terrible. It might be the metal I installed into my stomach, but yeah, like something like jet lag. That's just like, I mean, it's not great. Obviously, some people in the military applications they need to be super, super alert. So I get mm -hmm. that. But like, is it the a big enough problem that we have to like put injectables into our bodies? Well, it's. I think. Well, first of all, it's you know. DARPA is way on the early edges of the technology. Right, so yeah. I think the whole idea is that start working on it now, get it into an animal in phase two, see if it does work, mm -hmm. see if it is worth it. And I do think, I think that they say things like jet lag and food poisoning to get people's attention. Sure. But I think that the idea of basically having your own nest inside you that kind of helps keep you in better shape is kind of cool. Do you think there's the potential for this to just be 
like abused at the highest yeah. level. Can you hack? <laughs> like, can you hack it? Because oh, you can hack everything else, yeah. apparently. So no, that was. I, mean, I kind of mentioned. Let's that turn too. up David's <laughs> temperature. No. No. <laughs> no, just like all of a sudden hit the melatonin, just like. Draw. Um, no, it's. Uh, I think it is a cool technology. We talked. I talked a little bit about it uh, last week or a couple of weeks ago about the uh, possibilities with in-body direct drug d- delivery. Mm-hmm. I think it could be something cool like that because it's not. It's not too different from like an in, an automatic insulin pump. Pump, yeah. So, but in but concept, is. but it is. Yeah, I <laughs> mean, those no, are. I think it's. I think it's a super cool idea, and yeah. I, to be able to help somebody with these types of things, whether it's soldiers in the field or just anybody else and from day also, to day. Jet but. lag sucks. Trade shows are coming back soon. We're gonna have. Maybe it's just been so long since you've had bad jet lag or food poisoning. I don't jet lag. Meh. I don't know. So yeah. I'm. All, like I'm tired every day. It's just, whatever. <laughs> Is this jet lag or just a <laughs> just Monday? a regular day? Yeah. Uh, well, very good. I think it's interesting. You remain skeptics. That's okay. That's okay. We're not. We don't always have to be on the same side. Uh, Anna, what's your final thought this week? Um, I just wanted to let everyone know that I will be gone next week because I'm going on vacation with my family, and you will get Andy's all in my place, and you are going to enjoy this because he is like. A young Bob Newhart. (laughs) (laughs) Setting the table. I know. With more hair. With more hair. No, we look for, uh, I hope you enjoy your vacation. Thanks. Look forward to see uh, how many things Andy hates in 90 minutes or 45 minutes. (laughs) So many things. We should just change the name of the podcast to. What's Andy hate this week? Yeah, Andy's burn list or something. Right. Uh, Zal, implants that could end jet lag. Hmm. Stupid. I'll leave it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Jeff, your final thought this week. So, look, you know, on Mondays you always kind of like check the news cycle a little bit, just kind of see what happens. And I kind of got down this rabbit hole, and it led me to actually downloading a bunch of wonderful music from the 1980s oh. to early 90s. Oh, yeah. And I felt absolutely no shame coming into the parking lot here just – blasting away some Motley crew. It just felt really cool. Was yeah. it because so, Tawny Katane died that you downloaded was. all that stuff? It was, actually. I knew it. Yeah. That was sad. That was super bummed bum me out. It was sad, but like for me, it also made me think about, okay, she was the girl from the White Snake videos, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what took me down this <laughs> pathway, like downloading all this music. And so while it was tragic that she passed, like for me, it led to some good memories and mm-hmm. stuff yeah. growing up listening to that music. I'm not going to say that Poison or White Snake had a lot of, you know, huge societal um, messages in their music, but it made me smile and it made me feel good. And don't yeah. be afraid to pull out some of the hair band this weekend, you know? <laughs> no, that's... Uh, Holds uh, up. It's uh, music has triggers such... Uh, uh, nostalgia and recognition where you're immediately where you were the first time you heard it or when you have you associate a strong memory with it. Yeah. I love it. It's why, you know, after you have a couple of drinks and you're in the bar and you're just like, oh, <laughs> who put it on? You know, yeah. <laughs> um, my final thought this week was just uh, actually coming into the office, realizing that uh, garage sales or rummage sales are coming back. And I'm not afraid to go to them. I never really was. But uh, I can't wait to just start bartering and just mm-hmm. talking people how, down for a dollar. How excited is Carrie 
that you're going to be going I mean, to. You know, you get the items in the garage, and then they slowly make their way into the house. You don't show the entire hall at once. She's going to get you the solo, so you can't put any <laughs> oh. stuff in there. See, that would be That's good how they sell them. That's how I'm limited. Yeah, yeah. I can only fill the solo. <clears throat> Do you have a David in your life? Is he constantly bringing home a bunch of garbage? Right? Wow. No. Is he bringing this home is... a bunch of very terrifying clowns? <laughs> We needed another clown Eric. cookie jar. Just for Eric. And give those to Eric. Well, I mean, Eric's, you know, fears aside, I just love a terrifying clown. I like so to wake up and see. you can find a Pennywise, he would love that. Oh, a friend sent me a pen- Pennywise, like porcelain Pennywise that was just sitting in the bottom of a bar with like two middle fingers. Like, so no. that way you had to like see it. That would be, yeah, yeah. that'd be terrible. Oh, that's such a, but uh, no, and also the haggling, just like <laughs> 50 cents. You know, it's just like, it says a dollar. Oh, I can do 50 cents. I have two quarters only. Yeah. And that is the rest of my summer. (laughs) Well, very good. Uh, Again, if you can make sure to please like, subscribe, and share the podcast. If you want to email the podcast, you can reach any of us at Jeff, Anna, or David at IEN.com with email the podcast in the subject line. You could also subscribe to our newsletter to make sure you get everything first. For Jeff and Anna, I'm David Manti. And this is the Today in Manufacturing podcast. We'll catch you next week. Thank you for listening to the Today in Manufacturing podcast.